Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Wendy Christie. Wendy, how are you doing? Hi, Tamara. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. And I'm dying to hear how you got on in, was it Mull you were in last week with your choir? Yes, 30 of us added to the population of Mull and we all sang uh, together with the uh, Natural Voices Choir while we were there. It was just the best time. I think I haven't laughed like that for for a long time. It was just wonderful all singing together and can't be better for your mental health than all singing together, right? 100%. And actually, that's a really nice sort of segue because today we are doing things a little bit differently Our guest today is actually Paul Sutton, who's a digital marketing consultant with his own very successful podcast, which is Digital Download, one of my favorites. And he's also a special guest for us because he does the editing for this show and he is a big force behind it. So we are very pleased to to have him on the show. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. It's it's kind of different being on the other side, actually. (laughs) I mean, having watched the the way this show has grown and and evolved over the last few years to where it is now is is great. And it's lovely to be a part of. So thank you for having me on. Well, thank you. We're delighted. And something that we're really keen to talk to you about today, Paul, is that uh, I know that you've been very open about the struggles that you have with your own uh, mental well-being. And you were diagnosed with clinical depression uh, back in 2005 yeah you very kindly agreed to to share your story for our listeners and to sort of have a sort of very open uh, conversation so I want to say thank you for that you're welcome so we'll go into that in just a moment but before we do that can we do the genuine humans podcast special <laughs> and just take you back through your career first like I want to know how you got to where you are now yeah sure it's funny because I've heard you talk about squiggly careers on this show on many occasions, actually. And it seems to be almost a recurring theme that, that people who are successful or, or successful people you have talked to have squiggly careers. I'm not. <laughs> I have a very kind of linear career. I studied going back to A-levels. I started studying business and, and marketing went on to university and did business and marketing, came out of university, had a couple of little jobs, but then got into a a marketing role. And that was, what, 25 years ago now, as you can tell by my increasing amount of grey hair. (laughs) But it's carried on from there. The, The only slight diversion away from that, and I wouldn't even say this is a massive diversion, is that for three years, I ran a uh, an online e-commerce business with my wife, which you'll love this, was all about luxury um, pet accessories. Nice. <laughs> but even with that, that was very much a brand-led proposition. And my role in it was very much the marketing side of things. So even that, is, it is a diversion, but not not hugely. I've been working in digital now for 15 years or so, I would say. Started off in agencies. About half of that time was was agency life as sort of head of communications, head of digital strategy, those sorts of roles. And yeah, I've been I've been a consultant now 
a digital marketing consultant for this is my ninth year of business. So like I said, it's it's a very linear, straightforward career, which is a bit dull in comparison to some of the people you talk to. <laughs> it's quite nice to know that that does happen, though. <laughs> <laughs> And I know that it's, you know, you've been someone that I've actually followed on Twitter for absolutely years. You were kind of like right there from mm. from the beginning and, and so, you know, knowledgeable about social media. So, so yeah, th- thank you for, for, for being <laughs> that person. And uh, as Wendy said, it's nice to hear that it actually is quite linear. And I also want to give credit to Helen Tupper for the term squiggly career. <laughs> Tra- insert trademark here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Paul, from having heard more of our podcasts than any other human, um, <laughs> but we do like to sort of dig back a little bit and look at yeah. how, you know, childhood experiences and, and what you were like as a kid shapes um, how, how you are as an adult. So would you mind talking a bit about that, about, you know, what you were like as a child? Who did you look up to? What were your childhood dreams? Mm. Yeah, it's it it's an odd thing. When I look back to being a child it depends how you define childhood as well what age you define childhood because I when I look back I think there are two very distinct areas of my childhood I think there's pre-puberty and post-puberty it's just kind of that binary up until about I would say maybe 12 years old I was a very outgoing popular kid I remember that that from sort of junior school as I went through puberty and got older, though, I, st- I became very introverted. And that's how, you know, that's how I've developed now. I'm, I'm an introvert. So it's quite interesting that, you know, I, I'd love to know the psychology or the physiology of why that happened. But it's almost like they're two different people in my mind, which is a bit odd in itself. <laughs> I remember in school always being told you could do better. Right. And that's not to say that I, you know, I was top of my class in junior school. I did really well in in senior school, so it wasn't like I was behind where I should be. But I was always told you could do a bit better with this. You could do better, and I think that kind of stuck with me. So maybe that had something to do with it as I grew up, and I my kind of self belief, mm-hmm. I think, has suffered. Maybe that's a bit strong, but has suffered from that sort of age. You know, even now I, I do lack self belief. Right. So that that probably stems from childhood. And I think some of those things that we're told as maybe it is in that sort of that early period of going through puberty. Mm. Everything goes in, doesn't it? And everything that's said to us, particularly by teachers, you know, people that we look up to. Yeah, um, really, really does make an impact. Yeah. So you'd have this sort of linear education and career, you know, from A levels onwards. But what about, you know, maybe that that pre-puberty time? What? Did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> no, no, none whatsoever. I wanted to be a footballer, it's what I wanted to be, but nowhere near talented enough to do that. <laughs> um, and it's funny, I, you know, I've got a 10 year old boy who, who plays in a team now who wants to be a footballer. And bless him, he's not he's not the most talented of ten year olds. Uh but you know, that's his dream and, and I support that. And even though I know for a one hundred percent fact that he's not gonna be a footballer, I, I you know, I support him in that. And I yeah. think I think it's important to do that with kids. Just well, it's certainly the way my wife and I approach parenting is to give them as many opportunities as we can to support them in whatever they want to do. 
And, you know, my eldest daughter has been through, I mean, you think of something, she's probably done it. She's done judo and ballet and I don't know, you name it, she's done it. But she 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 kind of finds her own way around to what she's really interested in. And I think that's an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so you you talked about some of those things that were said about could do better that, that had an impact and, and possibly impacted your self-belief. Were there any other clues during your childhood, do you think, that you can look back at now and think, ah, okay, that's, you know, maybe something that's led to this diagnosis? Um, I, I don't think so specifically, but what I would say is when I was first diagnosed with depression, which is in roughly about 2005, I undertook a few counselling therapy sessions because, primarily because I wanted to understand more about it and, and why. Why do I, why have I had this? Where's it come from? So that's the primary reason I did it. One of the things that came out of that was that uh, I have twin brothers who are two years younger than me. Now, those two <laughs> were a little bit of a handful when they were kids. Not awful, but a bit of a handful. And it was kind of maybe suggested to me that my mum and dad had to focus a lot of their attention on my brothers. And therefore, maybe, possibly, I felt a bit left out. Mm -hmm. And that, in combination with told by teachers, you could do better. You know, it's it's all a melting pot, I suppose, yes. of, that, that could lead to something. Now, I'm happy to blame my brothers for anything and everything. <laughs> we're, we're a very strong family unit. I'm not sure whether that rings true with me or not. It's not something that I ever consciously felt that I was sidelined. So I don't know whether that's true mm -hmm. or not. But, you know, where it comes from in my childhood, why why I would have been diagnosed with this, I, I don't know. I really don't know. The first signs of it, you know, with hindsight, the first signs that I saw, I can see now, were when I was maybe about 17-ish, mm -hmm. so in my sort of late teens. But I had a, like a part-time job working at a supermarket, like like the kids do. <laughs> it seems funny, but not funny now. I, I got caught nicking some beer, nicking a four-pack of beer from this supermarket, and obviously got fired and, and had to go to... Well, I didn't have to go to court because the, the charges were dropped. But anyway, got mm -hmm. in trouble with the police. And that was so unlike me as a kid. No, you know, I, I wasn't, I was always quite a straight kid. Mm -hmm. And there was this one thing that kind of happened. But that was in the early part of the year. I want to say sort of February time. Now, if, if I carry that forward to where I am now, all of the kind of irrational, stupid things and decisions I've made and stupid things I've done have been in that early part of the year. And it follows right through to now where every year, January, February, February specific. I know, I know people have problems with January. For me, mm -hmm. it's February. I invariably get a period of depression in February. Could just be coincidence, but when I look back, there seems to be a common thread, I think, there. So given that you've, you, you sort of can almost anticipate that, I, yeah. I guess, year on year, yeah. is there anything that you can do to kind of prepare yourself for that? Yeah, there is. I mean... I know it's coming. I, I know that when it gets towards December time, I'm generally okay up until sort of December, but I know that when it comes to around to the new year, it's not even anticipation. I expect that mm -hmm. come February, I'm not going to be feeling great. 
And that tends to come on end of January, last sort of six weeks into middle of March. And I know it's going to be a bad spell. So I have, I mean, I take antidepressants mm-hmm. every year without question. Now I fought this, bearing in mind I, I was diagnosed in 2005 ish. Uh, so it's been 15, nearly 20 years now. I have taken antidepressants ever since then, but on a very much on-off basis. And I know you're not supposed to (laughs) self-medicate, but I do. When it comes around to sort of December, I have in my calendar every year something that I wrote about five or ten years ago, which says, if you're not taking antidepressants by now, start taking them now. And it lists out reasons why and how you're going to be feeling if you don't. And it's set as alarm that comes in my calendar like any other diary appointment. Mm-hmm. And it's just a prompt for me to go, do you know what? I can't get through without them. So just bloody take them. Because I fought it for so many years thinking, I don't want to take antidepressants. I don't want to be that person. But eventually I came around to a point of, why am I even fighting this? Because I know it helps. Yeah. I went through many years of using a light box because you can get a uh, light therapy, which mm. is just this bright box of daylight has a daylight bulb in it that shines at you and you're supposed to use it for i don't know an hour in the morning and i remember one of my jobs when i first got this thing i had it on my desk at work and people would say to me what's this why have you got it and i would Mm -hmm. tell them you know it's just to help my mood i didn't say i get depression but it was to help my mood sort of thing a lot of people get a response from that Mm -hmm. and and you know i if i weren't taking tablets i would use it so there, there is other things you can do. I have a daylight alarm clock, which, yes, it has a traditional alarm on it, but it starts brightening up the room half an hour before you're supposed to wake up. So the idea is it brings you round more slowly rather than that sudden shock that of... jolt. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is one of the things that's supposed to help with uh, depression and, and low mood. So there's various different things I do. Diet is another one. I try and make sure – I mean, I, I know a lot of people do this in January anyway because you've eaten crap for a month. <laughs> yes. But I try and make sure I'm eating healthily during that month because, again, diet affects mood. So there's lots of different things I try and do because I know that come February, I'm probably not going to be in a good place. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, this year, I didn't get it at all. And there was a lot going in my personal life with, with my dad being very ill um, and my mum as well. But I didn't get this, and I, I, I had no idea why. I mean, I'm grateful for it, mm-hmm. but that that's that's not usual. That's so interesting, isn't it? I wonder if it's just the human body, the human brain. You, you, you had so much else to kind of concentrate on that it, it's almost like it didn't it, It's have- an odd one. It really is. And even at the moment, so, so the way I take medication is, like I said, I normally start it around December run it through till I I start feeling better by middle of March and then I tend to trail it off by the end of April so you know you're never supposed to just stop this medication overnight because that can be bad for you so you 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 gradually wind it down over the course of a number of weeks like I said anyone listen to this please don't (laughs) self-medicate but um, that's that's the way I do this this year so we're now at the end of we're into May now I've been through this process over the last few weeks of winding it down slowly, and I'm absolutely fine. Like I said, I haven't had a spell of depression this year at all, which is great. My wife is is a bit concerned because, as you guys know, my my father died a couple of weeks ago, Mm. and it doesn't make sense to be coming off antidepressants when your father's just died. It just Mm -hmm. just logically you wouldn't do it. 
but I've continued to do that this year, the same process as I normally do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm fine at the moment. I mean, who knows? But, you know, it, it seems to be, it's almost a pattern. The depression is a pattern. And if you know there's a pattern, then you can do something about it. Yeah, it, you can, it gives you that maybe a little bit of a degree of control. One of the things we've talked about before, Paul, is how you feel your depression can impact how you're interacting with the people around you. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind talking about that? No, of course not. I guess there are two sides of it. There's the professional side and the personal side. If we take on the professional side, I think I'm probably right in saying you you guys actually a better place to say this than me, maybe, but... I don't think professionally people would notice any difference at all. I'm quite good at, let's say, masking it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can, I can go, I, I can go to, I can be in a very low mood and have to go to a client and do a training session, an all day training session. They would never know any different because I'm, I'm capable of masking that for a day. You know, for a short spell of time. The, the depression does not. I'm confident in saying it does not impact my work in any way, shape or form. Mm. And I think that's really important because maybe we'll talk about this later, but people are scared of what might happen if they admit to this publicly and what mm-hmm. people will think of them. It is perfectly possible to carry out a normal career and be depressed. It's not easy, but it's it's possible to do. That's the professional side. The flip side of that is this has to go somewhere mm-hmm. it's not something you can bottle up and bottle up and bottle up and if you do it causes problems but the way depression manifests for me is that i become very irritable particularly with my kids which is not fair on them but i, I can't help it mm-hmm. i tend to become quite dismissive of my wife i get angry very easily I lack motivation to to do stuff. I have low mood. So they're sort of my symptoms. Other people have symptoms around sleep, where either they can't get out of bed in the morning or they can't sleep or Mm -hmm. diet is screwed up, like they need to eat or they don't eat anything. There's all sorts of different symptoms, but that's, that's how it manifests for me. And that, to your point, has an impact on other people. Now, unfortunately, the people it impacts are the people closest to me and the people I love the most. I hate that. I I hate it. I despise it, which is why a few years ago I came to the conclusion, just take the bloody pills. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned to recognize it now. Mm -hmm. And my wife is very good at saying, look, you're, you're not being a pleasant person to be around. And I I take that on board. I listen to her. Whereas for a long time, I kind of dismissed it, but Mm -hmm. now I've, I've, been in this state for so long now i just listen you know and maybe it's, that, that's all part of recognizing the patterns and it is yeah absolutely and, and and i i can identify now if i'm starting to feel have a bit of low mood or i'm starting to get very irritable at the kids for no real reason then that to me is a, is a warning sign yeah. and i'm i'm very good now at recognizing it and if i don't i'm damn sure my wife will and she will tell me so you know it's it's kind of doubled up team there who who are, i mean obviously it would be lovely to hear more about how your your wife is supporting you through this mm. and are there other people who have supported you through this at all the the main person is my wife she's a she's an absolute angel and she's she's 
my rock effectively. If she wasn't there, God knows what state I would be in. When I got together with her and I was, it's it, because my father's died. I've been thinking a lot about my relationship with him and, and mm-hmm. various conversations we've had over the years. I remember one from, so we've been married now for uh, some time. <laughs> I'm supposed to know these things. I have a tattoo on my arm with the date, and I have to look at the date. We've been married since 2008 because I've looked at the tattoo. Um, <laughs> leading up to that, so I'd already I, she she knew I'd been diagnosed with depression. I'd never hid it from her. But talking to my dad at that time about whether I should get married or not, he said, "Well, she saved you," and he was dead right. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it hadn't been for her, I I dread to think where I would be and what I would be doing now. So she is my absolute rock. In terms of other people, I think I'm very lucky that I work with nice people. I'm mm-hmm. a consultant, so I have a variety of different clients, and I would include you guys in this. If I was ever to say to you, look, I'm in a really bad way, I just need a couple of weeks away from work, and I can't edit the podcast, I'm sorry. I am... 99% sure that you guys would say, don't worry about it. Yeah. You go away, get yourself sorted. And I have other clients who I know I can do that with. Mm. I don't tend to have, I mean, most of my work is project based, so I don't have that many ongoing clients. I think maybe it's a case of I attract clients and people to me who are, who have a similar mindset. Mm-hmm. So, in, in numerous examples in the past, I could say to you, well, I've, I've said to a client, Maybe not too overtly, but I just need a bit of time for for personal reasons or whatever. And I can't think of one recently, certainly in recent history, who has said, I'm sorry, but we really need to get this done. Mm -hmm. So that although that is indirect support, it is so valuable. Just treat people nicely and with respect because you never know what is going on with someone. You you never know. So it's it's something I I firmly live by is, is that whole treat other people the way you want to be treated because i think that gets returned to you i think the universe has a way of rewarding you for that i agree and it's that honesty as well you know just to sort of to be able to to sort of say this is what's going on for me i need a bit of time uh so that you don't have to mask things i think that's that's really important as well it is i mean that's something that i would say that's a learned behavior Mm. and if there are people listening to this who who have problems it's not an easy thing to do it's just Mm -hmm. the fact that i've been doing it for years and years and years and because i work for myself i'm not scared of if i say something to a client and they don't like it and they come to back to me i'm not scared of walking away from that project if i need to i've never had to if i needed to i would but then i have complete control over that that is different from someone being employed who has a job to do, you know. So, Paul, I'm really struck by what you were saying about, uh, I suppose the way I'm seeing it now is like past Paul helps mm. future Paul deal with things by putting putting things in your calendar and, and sort of yeah. making sure that you're, yeah. you know, you're prepared and, and just sort of reminding, reminding you. But generally, if I go back to your working life, yeah, what impact has work had on your mental health and, and also vice versa? I would say I have not allowed work to impact me too much. Mm. So this goes back right to the the time I was diagnosed with depression. 
at that time, I was going through a separation and, a, and eventually a divorce. And I was working for an agency at the time. And I wasn't in a good place personally. Mm. This isn't a time when I would have gone to that agency and said, look, I've been diagnosed with depression. It was way too early in my journey to be doing that sort of thing. And it was a different time than 15 years ago. But that agency, my my, my performance at work was well down because of this. And and you, you run a company, you know, you you can spot generally, I think, if someone's performance is down for... I don't know, it's unusual, uncharacteristic. Mm. Then you, you kind of think, well, hang on, there's something going on with them personally. The agency I worked for at the time, instead of <laughs> asking me why and, and helping me, basically reprimanded me and then fired me, mm. which, I don't know, to this day, I, I just find it quite astounding. If that had happened to someone else, I'd, I'd be furious, but yeah. it's the way it was, moved on. The next agency, then I moved on to an agency, which was fine, went through a good period with them, and then set up this e-commerce company, which around three years. That, unfortunately, didn't last because it, it, it was around the time of the um, the financial crash of about 2010. So the e-commerce company just wasn't providing the income we needed. So we ended up shutting down that, and I went to work, back to work for another agency. And again, that <laughs> that agency was run by someone who who absolutely believed in pace keep going mm. as fast as you can keep going keep going keep going i remember for example there, there was one day i had a client meeting lined up and i woke up that morning tried to get out of bed and was just sick i, I was really ill and rang in saying look i'm really sorry i can't make this got a call back saying look unless you're on your deathbed you need to be getting to this meeting now, I lived an hour away from them up the motorway and was like, well, what do I do? I've, I've got to get to work then. So got in the car, had to stop twice on the motorway on the hard shoulder to be sick. Oh, Turned up at this the, the office, grey, ashen, as you can imagine, and people were going, what the hell are you doing here? You look awful. Got a pep talk by the boss about, no, you've got to be upbeat and, you know. Oh, God. So I went, went into this meeting. It wasn't long after that I left that agency. I quit that agency without a job to go to. I didn't have another job, but I was like, this is impacting my mental health badly. I, I The whole environment around the place just was not healthy, I don't think. So there has been the odd occasion. I would Those two are the major things I would cite as impacting my mental health mm. other than that your original question i don't i try not to let work get to me because i kind of think there are more important things in life which i know is probably a bad thing to say to people who are running a business who employ <laughs> a lot of people and have to employ and pay people but you know I, you guys would never let if someone calls in and said look i've been sick i can't walk because i'm being sick you'd not say get in the car get to the office you just wouldn't <laughs> It's it's astounding. No, and it, that does come from from the leadership. And you know, I know that in in the social element that you know, if people just the phrase that people use generally is health first. That's yeah. that's mm -hmm. what people just say. You know, yeah. you're going through something, something's happening. Of course, health first. Mm. So it, it kind of astounds me that other people don't necessarily think mm -hmm. that way. And and I appreciate that some of those bad experiences you had uh, are in the past, but they do sometimes still happen so so how how can leaders create an environment 
where teams feel safe and can flourish. Do you know what? You're better probably answering this than me. <laughs> but to me, if, if I put myself in the position of an employee who is suffering from poor mental well-being at the moment. Now, when I've worked in agencies, because, I, because I've been a consultant for nine years now, I've never, I've never openly gone to a boss and said, I'm suffering, I've got depression. Because nowadays I would, but I wouldn't back then. Mm-hmm. But if I put myself in a position now, what would make me feel safe, and that, that is the key word actually used, it is safety. I would want to feel a culture of, if I've got a personal problem, and it doesn't have to be depression or whatever it is, I, I feel safe to go to my boss or their boss or whoever and have a safe space to talk and say look i know my performance is down at the moment and this is the reason why what can we do how can we approach this mm. i've got these thoughts can you give me i don't know can i go down to four days a week or three days a week for a couple of weeks or can i take two weeks off as i don't know whatever sick time mm. i don't know um, but the key to it is that security that I am comfortable that is not going to bite me in the ass if I go to my boss and say I'm struggling mm. because if I all the time I think I am gonna I don't know it's going to show up in a performance review or I'm not going to get a salary increase or my bonus is being affected anything like that there is no way on earth I'm going to go to someone and, and, and say I'm struggling if you remove all that stuff and all those worries then the the barriers are gone. It doesn't mean that someone's necessarily going to come forward, but they're not going to be scared if they're feeling like they want to. Mm. I, I I would hope that culture has changed now since since ten years ago. But like you say, I'm sure this stuff still happens in places. I think one of the big shifts is, of course, the pandemic and mm-hmm. people being in lockdown. And yeah. you know, uh, as as you know <laughs> from listening to all of these podcasts. I am one of these annoying optimists and I do like to sort of see the good in things. And so, <laughs> yes, we've been through a pandemic and a lockdown, but there were some positives that came out of that. And one of the things is that I think that there is more willingness to talk about mental health, well-being, yeah. the fact that burnout is going to have a major impact on, on uh, well, so many companies, but just focusing on our, our industry, um, you can see that it's already having an impact and people sort of either deciding to leave the industry or just needing to sort of have a more flexible approach or change the way they work or or literally just take time off to to recover and and I think anyone who's not creating a safe environment at work will suffer further down in terms of business that people will just leave mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, th- I think you're dead right and I mean even even from a personal perspective although we've focused more on depression in, in this conversation. So a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, maybe I had a spell of burnout mm. where I had just been working nonstop for 18 months, hadn't had a proper holiday, was very busy. And eventually it just, it, it gets on top of you. And I had a, had a spell of burnout where, do you know, I mean, I had physical symptoms, like even, even an odd one, I had this little sort of rash on my fingers mm which I, I couldn't put it down to anything else other than this this burnout. And I, mm-hmm. I looked it up and it seemed to be something that had happened. And, and that, I think, stress causes such 
Stress is a, is a horrible thing. It's, it's, it's emotional, it's physical, it's mental, it's everything. And for be, pe- pe- people to be able to come forward and, and, and talk about that is really important. Again, even, even personally, last year, I had a massive spell of anxiety, which I've never had before in my life. Uh, but, bef- but from September till November, December, real horrible anxiety and, and ended up going to the doctor um, who who put me onto Mind, which is an amazing organisation, and went and saw a spoke to a therapist three or four times over the course of a few weeks again to to try and understand why I was getting this anxiety and and what to do about it. And again, the ability if I was employed to be able to talk to someone and say I've got this, I don't know what to do about it, I'm going to go and see a therapist, but just bear with me for a little while. It's really important. And that open door culture is invaluable. It really is. Yeah. And I think normalizing, you know, this conversation that we're having now, you know, may help someone else, you know, vocalize what's going on for them. And I I, I really hope that that does happen. I'm also just going to do a big shout out for mine because they're one of our favorite clients and we absolutely love the work they do. They're Mm -hmm. they're incredible. Yeah, they're a wonderful organization. They really are. So what are you most proud of so far in terms of your personal life or your, or your career life? Do you know, I, 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 there's two things. I'm, I'm most proud of the fact that I have been a consultant now for, I mean, my ninth year of business. And I have created a business that is successful. And more than that, although this is a bit dull, is stable. Mm-hmm. There's um, nothing dull about that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it's part of uh, uh, the older I've got, the more I've appreciated yeah, stability. Yeah, 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 yeah me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because you hear a lot of freelancers, I hate the word freelancers, but anyway, freelancers who talk about famine and feast. And sometimes you get two months where you're stacked and then two months where you have nothing and you're worrying because you haven't got any money coming in. My business doesn't work like that. Yes, I have ups and downs like everyone, but it's a stable business that month after month, I can pretty much guarantee roughly what sort of you know revenue I'm going to get and, and therefore what I can pay myself. And I'm really proud of that. And the fact that it's been going nine years now, because when I set this up, it was... I'd been thinking of it for a number of years, but it was still a bit of a gamble. I've got a family. I had young kids at the time. And it was just a bit of a gamble to leave the security of a you know regular income to do this but it's a gamble that's paid off in in spades it really has the other thing which is a bit of a cliche but i'm really proud of my kids i've got three kids who are 13 10 and 9 they are all turning out to be really nice people if that's if that's the right <laughs> word my eldest in particular, and again, related to this conversation, will talk to us about things. Mm-hmm. Like if she's feeling anxious about things, she will come to us and talk to us. Mm. She's open about that stuff and we're open with her. And again, they all seem to be very stable. They're bright, which that's one thing or another, but they're, they, they're nice people. They treat people in the right way. And that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud of the fact that they... They put effort in at school. I, I don't care so much about the results. It's the fact that they apply themselves. Mm-hmm. I care about that they are nice people to other people because mm-hmm. it's one of my core values. And I see it in them. And that that really makes me proud. That is lovely. 
Well, Paul, you know what's coming. <laughs> is it a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> Hopefully there's not actually a zombie apocalypse coming. <laughs> so we're going to move on to that last part of the podcast where it, it almost feels a bit strange saying we're going to get a bit more personal because I think actually... Yeah, I mean, give me a break. I've heard my soul now. <laughs> we need more. Come on, cry. <laughs> so uh, we'll start with a nice easy one. How would your friends describe you? You're making an assumption here for this question. <laughs> That I have friends. <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but quite genuinely, don't, I don't have a lot of close friends. I have a lot of acquaintances and people I know, a lot, but I don't have that many close friends. I don't know why specifically. I think it's it's partly my personality because I am quite introverted and I've become more and more introverted the older I've got. I'm happy in my own company. I'm happy... Specifically, I'm happy with my wife's company, and she's kind of all I need. So if she leaves me, I'm screwed, really. <laughs> In terms of the people I do know who are friends, I, I, well, I get a lot with people saying... <laughs> I'm a really nice person in in inverted commas. Now, I don't know what nice means. You, you have to make your own sort of thoughts on that. I, I mean, I take it to mean, I think, genuine, kind, warm, friendly you know, those sorts of things. I, I would like to think that that's how people would describe me. I, they would say probably I'm I'm quite quiet, mm-hmm. but that I treat people well. Mm-hmm. If, if people said that about me, I'm happy. I'm happy all day long. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think nice is, is highly underrated. I mean, I think it's all those <laughs> things that you describe that you're proud of in your kids. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and if my kids, oh, that's, I was, I was going to say, I'm editing this out. I'm going to say it anyway, but it's not going in. <laughs> if my kids grow, out to, grow up to be like me, I'd be happy. And, and I mean that by if people say the same things about them that mm-hmm. people seem to say about me, I'd be happy. Well, I'm going to insist you don't edit that out. I think that's absolutely true. <laughs> oh, did we not tell you we're getting this edited by someone else? <laughs> by someone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how would you fare in a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would be great in a zombie apocalypse because <laughs> I respond to crises very well in terms of... <laughs> now, my brothers and I refer to... And my wife refers to this as robot mode. I go into this... And I again, going back to my father having died a couple of weeks ago, I go into a coping mode. There's nothing I can do anything about. It just happens. Mm-hmm. So I go into this coping mechanism where for three or four days, I'm going to be absolutely fine. And I'm going to organise and put lists together. And so I'm not going to be the sort of person in a zombie apocalypse, sort of Shaun of the Dead whacking people around the head with a <laughs> with a cricket bat. That's not me. But I would be organising things and getting it all fixed up. So I think I'd be fine. I think Who knows? you and Tamara should be in charge. <laughs> you both get my vote. It's, it's a similar I've, i think i've got an ability i can never say this word but it, i can do it is the compartmentalizing it's yes. like the ability to just you know i'm just going to put those emotions in a little box while i just deal with yeah. this yeah yeah and then the emotions come back and smack you in the face when you're not expecting exactly. it but you know <laughs> exactly. we're, we're all works in progress right yes absolutely <laughs> so what is this is going to be a food one for you then what, what is your favorite restaurant or or food experience so far i love thai cuisine as my first choice of cuisine if i was to to have any sort of meal i really like the crazy bear in stadhampton because they have a if you've ever been there have a downstairs sort of cellar bit Mm 
which is so over the top golden dark reds and it's just totally over the top as you expect from the crazy bear if you've ever been to one of their places but they do the most wonderful thai taster menu down there as well so that sort of that sort of food is is great i did have a, a taster menu at the quatre saison restaurant oh, lovely. this is going back a number of years now and i didn't pay for it <laughs> it was something i won through work but that was an experience at the manoir it was just just something i've never experienced all, all these beautiful little bits of of food which i don't know it was just a, a one-off experience really yeah food food theater yeah absolutely yeah so have you got a sort of sliding doors alternative career is there something that if you weren't doing all of the things that you're doing now yeah what's your alternative career the closest I can get is pet accessories, you know, and you think, well, if that business had gone on to be what we hoped it would be, God knows what I'd be doing. I mean, I'd be running that, I suppose. But the idea behind that was that originally it was going to be a, a chain of these, not boutiques, not pet boutiques, but more, if you think of a pet shop, typically it's mm. a bit of a dank, smelly sort of mm-hmm place full of cheap toys and crappy food and stuff and this was intended to be a lot nicer than that it would have decent quality stuff and we opened a shop and it was very it was almost like a i don't want to say a fashion shop because that's too far but it was way different than your standard pet shop so you know had that gone on to be what it was who knows who knows what i'd be doing well, I'm very glad that you're doing exactly what you do now because uh, we absolutely <laughs> love working with you. So thank you again, Paul, for, for coming on the podcast and being so open. I think this has been such a an important conversation to have. But is there anything that we didn't ask you? Any last comments or the, the platform is now yours? <laughs> thank you. I, I would like to say that because this this podcast is probably going in around mental health awareness week so the topic's quite prescient at the moment i would just like to say to people if you feel that you are struggling in any way shape or form whether it's depression or anxiety or stress or any other form of mental well-being issue please for god's sake talk to someone because that first step is so important if you try and bottle things up too much, it doesn't work. It's it's that's got to come out somewhere. It, and just by talking to someone, you you are on the path to getting the help you need. Now that someone could be a doctor, it could be a friend who you trust, it could be your spouse, it could be anyone. Just pick the person who you think is going to be non-judgmental. I would say. And just talk to them about it. I, if I think if I think back to when I was first diagnosed, the tipping point for me was I was stood on a a train station on a tube in London, just waiting for a train to come, and I found myself thinking. I caught myself thinking, if I was going to kill myself, I would jump in front of a train because there's no getting back from that. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened with me is I caught that thought. It wasn't that I was going to do it, but it alarmed me that I was thinking about it. And so almost the very next day, I called a doctor and went and spoke to someone. Up until that point, I don't think I'd ever spoken to anyone about the fact that I had these depressive episodes or low mood or whatever. 
But again, if I hadn't spoken to someone, God knows where that would have gone. You know, a month down the line, what would have happened? So please, if, if, if you are listening to this and you have any any sign of a mental health issue or you're struggling in any way, just talk to someone, please. That, that's it. It's, it's that simple. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency. Thank you.